IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons. Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. And Kirsten, as we're well into the first quarter of 2022 now, people are continuing to face some of these we get leadership challenges that are only magnified when we practices. try to think beyond just performance. Here are your hosts for really IntelliKey Leadership Stories, and their soul's Kirsten Gouldy and, their and Mark Stenson. It continues to be a great dialogue that is happening, and I think a necessary one. What really makes us happy, and where do we want to be as a human, as a person, and then within our families, further into our communities, and then our global impact at large as a result of reaching our own potential. And the discussion seems to be continued to be elevated. And our podcast for conscious leaders who are, you know, certainly building departments, but they are also trying to build relationships. They're trying to build an ecosystem and they're trying to build something bigger than themselves. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about our discussion of artificial intelligence right now in our technology space. And it really is here. It's upon us. We can't stop this train from coming. And people are so concerned about the power of AI being the big potential evil. And the truth is, if we don't figure out the human relationships, AI stands no chance. It's all going to, it's going to be predicated on how humans behave that predicates the outcome and the potential benefits of artificial intelligence, because the benefits are enormous. Absolutely. Well, with that backdrop, we're just so glad to have as our guest today, someone who is working in this area of performance and relationships, Brett Cooper. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kirsten. Thrilled to be here with you guys today. Brett and his partner, Evans Kerrigan, are the principals of a company called Integris Performance Advisors. They're also co-authors of a book, Solving the People Problem. Well, Brett, I, I think we need to start there. When did people become the problem? Or maybe, maybe I'm misreading that title. <laughs> well, it's funny. As we were looking at what are we going to name this book, we had a lot of different, different, different kinds of ideas that came out and our publisher encouraged us to pick something that would actually raise some eyebrows, you know, draw some question. Wait, what? You're saying people are the problem? And uh, did fact, I read that no, right? <laughs> no, absolutely not. We do not believe that people are the problem. The, the whole core of the book is actually that the problem that we're talking about is the fact that people don't generally do a great job of understanding and honoring the differences, the differences in communication style, the difference in personality. In the book, we have a lot of research and a lot of stories. And one of the pieces of data that I think might encapsulate kind of everything is the number one source of workplace conflict is personality clashes and differences in communication style. Now, that can't be because we have different personalities or because we communicate differently, because we all do, right? Everybody has a personality. But the fact that most people across the country and throughout the world say in, in research studies that, yeah, the number one thing that drives conflict and frustration in their workplace is this fact that they clash with other people that they work with. To me, that highlights this idea that, well, if we can get people understanding, first understanding, but then more importantly, really honoring those differences in style, man, the workplace becomes a whole lot more of an engaging place to be, a whole lot more of a healthy place to be, and quite honestly, a whole lot more productive place to be. 
You know, I'm thinking about what you're saying and a football team or a basketball team is coming to mind. Each person on the team plays a different position. There's a unique skill set and a unique training. They even have their own personal trainers for that particular position. And it's, they honor those unique skill sets to make the actual plays that need to get made to win the game. That's the analogy that's coming to my mind is somehow sports teams have learned how to figure this out. And yet we're still trying to figure out how to play the game in companies rather than some hierarchy saying, do as I say, and don't speak. If you have an idea, keep it to yourself if it's different than mine. Yeah. You know, Kirsten, that, that's actually a really great analogy in that those sports teams and some organizations also have done a really good job of accepting, understanding and honoring the different hard skill sets. You know, if we think about it, you know, the marketing people tend to defer to the salespeople on the sales call. And then, you know, the accounting people will say to the salespeople, okay, you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. And everybody does have a pretty good ability to both understand and honor those skill set differences. What we're talking about and what, what is really the big opportunity, I think, for us going forward is looking at what, what historically people have called soft skills. We don't use the term soft skills uh, because we think they're essential skills. Matter of fact, that's the subtitle of the book, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. We really look at them as social and emotional skills. And if we can get teams, sports teams, organizations, any group of people that's working well together to not only respect the different skill sets that people bring, but the different style of communication and the different way we process information. One, one of the quick examples of this would be, you know, some people are what I call talk it through kind of leaders and other people are think it through kind of leaders. And we see this all the time in team meetings, in organizations or in sales meetings or, or any time that, that two or more people are getting together to interact. We see that some people might dominate that conversation because they have that more extroverted personality. They think on their feet and they just kind of go. They're really comfortable with going. And in many of those cases, the people that are a little more introverted or a little bit more reserved in their thinking and want to really think things through, they get kind of pushed to the side. Let's face it, just because you are willing to talk quickly doesn't mean you have all the answers or even the best answers. Wait, but are we... you knocking on me over here? Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say. Yeah. We it's might a, have a problem today. It's getting a little personal. I'm getting a little sweaty. <laughs> I think you, know, you if, forgot to mention if you talk louder, your idea is more valid. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and, and that comes right back to the, the data that I was sharing right up front that, you know, the, the biggest frustration that people feel are those clashes in that personality and communication style. And if we can get people you know, we, we get the boisterous people, the talking through people to recognize, okay, your colleagues who aren't speaking up quite as quickly, it's not because they don't have anything to say, it's because they process things a little bit differently. So you need to learn to step back and create some space and let the other people process and then come to the table with you know their ideas and their thoughts. And likewise, the folks that don't tend to speak up quite so eagerly 
we need to help them recognize, hey, if you don't speak up, we don't get the benefit of your ideas. So, you know, dig down and try to find ways to get yourself comfortable with being able to speak up. So there's a number of techniques that, that teams can, can use with that. Things like giving, giving everybody the agenda in advance, making sure everybody knows what we're gonna be talking about, what kind of questions do we have, so that the people that do want to process uh, a little bit before they just start talking, you know, they have an opportunity to do that. that that's, that's one example of, of how these ideas come to play. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, Brett, I couldn't help but think in terms of your subtitle there, performance and achieving more in today's workplace. The ink was barely dry on your book when today's workplace totally blew up and changed. How are some of these principles? Certainly some of these are good, just communication and like you were saying, techniques about good team play. But how has the challenge of leading changed as the workplace environment has changed? This book really represents the last 20 years of what Evans and I have been doing as leadership and performance consultants. We've worked with organizations uh, around the world and of all different sizes, shapes, industries, things like that. And so, yes, there is a lot in here that is just good, solid, you know, leadership and team dynamics kind of ideas. And we were writing the book and we put it out uh, right, really, as the pandemic start got got underway one of the things that has been really interesting is since releasing the book i've been getting a lot of people telling me you know i would have thought that these things that you write about would have been very relevant to me a year ago two years ago three years ago but now that i'm living in a remote world or a hybrid world these are even more important they're using the ideas that are in the book the, again the, the stories and the techniques they're using those things and and enabling them as leaders and as teammates to work more effectively with people that now their interaction is like we're doing here over Zoom or you know you're, you're all remote or, or maybe you're in the office now you know a couple of days a week kind of thing. The ability that teams and leaders have to interact with their colleagues on a interpersonal basis has really been limited by the pandemic, right? When we get on these Zoom calls, we tend to address the issues at hand and then say, okay, great, thanks for the call, goodbye. And when we're, 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 we're in person, there's that you know, 10, 15 minutes before the meeting, 10, 15 minutes after the meeting, going to lunch, you know, the, these opportunities to interact in a, in a personal way. Um, so with what we talk about in the book, we give people these ideas around, okay, even over Zoom, how can you find time to interact and build that personal relationship? Because let's face it, we spend most of our time interacting with people that we work with. And if we don't have good relationships with them, if we don't have relationships that we feel you know, respectful and that we can be open and honest and vulnerable with each other, it makes work really tough and quite honestly, not very fun. So I have a question and Mark knows I really like to pose the ones that are more controversial to me. That's great language, but what about for those persons of colors or females, LGBTQ and transgender community, right? It's very easy to say, I'm willing to reach across the aisle. If you look like me, feel like me, but diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big conversation right now. 
how does your training in these companies embrace this real necessary discussion? Yeah, absolutely. It's a critical issue that we're dealing with these days. Like you, I'm so glad that it's actually getting some attention now. Uh, I don't think we're going to solve it anytime soon, but hopefully individual organizations are making progress on these fronts. And the organizations that we work with, a lot of the trainings that we do and the assessments that we use, they do incorporate that as part of their DEI programs. Because if we think about diversity and inclusion and making people feel comfortable in their work environments and in and with their colleagues, Yes, there is a a lot, rightfully so, a lot of focus on diversity of race and of gender and of things like that. What we bring to the table is another way to look at some of those differences and to create inclusion. Because one of the things that I believe is that if we can get colleagues to embrace diversity in one area, it opens up an opportunity and a dialogue to be able to open up differences in diversity in other areas. So we do not address head-on directly issues, diversity issues related to gender and race, but we do directly interact with these ideas around how do you communicate? And those, those ideas and those topics really cross other barriers. When we can get people that are of diverse backgrounds talking with each other because they're able to embrace each other's styles, we find that some of those communications, some of those dialogues about these other issues, Kirsten, you know, around race and around gender, and we, we open the door to communication. When we can get people honoring and respecting those differences in style, suddenly we, we create a, a more healthy forum for other things to be discussed. One of the, the concepts that we talk a lot about is when you're on a team, you need to be vulnerable with each other. You get yourself to a place where, you know, everybody on the team is willing to speak their mind and to share what they're thinking about. And the only way we can do that is if everybody on a team starts to get a little bit more vulnerable. Things like, you know, you can say, hey, I made a mistake over here. Hey, I need some help. Taking away that air, I have to always be right, or I have to always look like I know what's going on. That's not the reality of us as humans. And if we can get people that are working together to recognize, you know, it's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to be a little bit vulnerable. Suddenly, the dialogue that people get to have is a little bit more open. And let's face it, when we turn our, our discussions to things around race, around gender, there's a lot that people are really uncomfortable with and, and don't know, right? There's, there's so much that all of us have to learn. And we're never going to be able to learn those things. We're never going to be able to cross some of these divides that we face as a society if we aren't able to be open and honest with, with each other in those dialogues. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how we contribute to the goodness of what's going on with the, the DE efforts uh, across the country and across the world today. And Brad, I think these are good principles, obviously, for the day-to-day -day team interactions and sort of departmental meetings, all the scenarios you've described. But I think we, we also like to maybe take the elevator up a little bit and say, look, the C-suite, the board of directors, you know, Wall Street, ESG efforts, this is not famous for vulnerability. Uh, this, is, this is not- <laughs> No, <where> really? <laughs> but I, I guess I'm saying to say, my, does my company feel threatened 
by these, say, environmental issues? Does my board agree with sustainability efforts that need to happen? Is there good governance? You know, whenever a CEO gets called in front of Congress, they're not looking for open dialogue often. It's usually defense. So how do some of these open communication principles maybe apply at that level? Well, let's face it, these last five, six years, they have not held the most ideal leadership in the public eye, right? I mean, if you think about the way that leaders in the public eye talk with each other, talk about each other, talk about other people, it's horrendous. And if, if you take what you see on the TV and you bring that back into an organization, I guarantee you the whole, you know, right now we're dealing with great resignation, right? We're having millions of people who are leaving their organizations. If we had people, leaders acting like they do on TV, acting like that in organizations for the, the everyday people like, you know, like us, <laughs> oh my gosh, we'd be out of here. So there are two things. The folks that are on the TV, they're playing a role. There's, there's so much more of a cult of personality now than there has been, I think, until, until recently. And it, and it kind of ebbs and flows over our history with the way that social media has gone and the way that general media has gone. There is so much disparity in, in how we look at each other in that public eye. The ideas that we talk about, if we can get teams that work together you know, inside an organization, to work more effectively together because we're getting them to understand and honor differences, you know, people differences. Well, then of course that's going to be valid for leaders in that public eye, but I do not have an answer for how do we, you know, who aren't in that realm, other than getting some new leaders that actually exhibit the, you know, this respect in this vulnerability. Uh, you know, that, that, that's really the, the tough one. And I think, so, Kirsten, this is where the new generation of leaders that you Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess that's a kind of our wrap-up question. Mark and I are very passionate about this idea of conscious leadership, you know, some of the principles of IntelliKey leadership that we speak to, which really requires some deeper value systems, self-awareness, self-regulation, going beyond the traditional this is my brand of morality, and this is what we're going to follow. These principles we're speaking to go well beyond personal biases. So I guess my question for you is, how do you see some of this conscious leadership playing out for the future? It's, it's an excellent question, Kirsten. And, and I, honestly, I'm very hopeful for the future. The, the focus that, that we have, matter of fact, the reason that I am now doing what I'm doing, the reason that we wrote this book is I started out 20 years ago doing operations consulting. We're doing Lean Six Sigma process improvement and kind of hard skills. We made, we made a lot of progress on projects, yes. but what we were missing, it was we, we never got the DNA of organizations to change because right. what was always getting in the way were leadership issues and team dynamics. And I will tell you now, 20 years since I started doing that work, we are getting a whole lot more organizations, leaders and team members that are embracing these kinds of ideas of respect in the workplace. And going back to, to the, the question that we were just talking about, 
I really make a, a hard differentiation between leaders in the media and leaders at work. They really don't have anything to do with each other. If, if you're on TV, you're acting, you're playing a role, you're trying to be as outrageous as you possibly can so you can get airtime. I mean, look at what's going on in Congress these days. None of those people could lead an organization because everybody would leave. But now the whole, the whole goal is to be outrageous so I can get media coverage. In an organization, and going back to Kirsten, what you're getting around, you know, the future of leaders, my focus is on leaders in organizations. What I see is folks that are coming up care a great deal about things like, can people express themselves at work? Are people engaged in their work? Meaning that they, are, they have an emotional connection to what it is that they're doing. Do they enjoy the work that they're doing? Right? These are things that the, 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 the next generation of leaders really tends to care about. And so if they're going to be inside an organization, they're going to change some of those bad habits of leaders in the past. Because we, again, the, the research now is coming out again and again and again, that the best way to create a very productive workforce is to drive a very engaged workforce. And the only way you drive an engaged workforce is by going back to this idea of understanding and honoring the differences between us. That's a good foundation. Brett, thanks for being our guest. Thanks for the conversation. We've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it as well. Thanks for having me on. So listeners, our guest has been Brett Cooper. He and his co-author Evans Kerrigan wrote a great book called Solving the People Problem. You can read more about it at solvingthepeopleproblem.com. And their company is Integris performance advisors. That's at integraspa.com. Well, Kirsten, we're going to continue this conversation. We'll be talking to leaders about bringing these multiple points of view and building this communication all towards not just achieving goals, but achieving soul's purpose, right? Absolutely. So Mark, what was your takeaway for today? Well, I smiled even when I knew that we were going to be talking with Brett because I had a deja vu to the first time I took my DISC profile. And uh, I believe the D dot was so far out of the circle, they thought there was something wrong with the test. And so it's like the driver, no wonder nobody wants to be in the room with you. You're not listening to anybody. But we, we've also laughed, Brett, that both Kirsten and I have tested out ENTJ. And somehow we, we host a podcast every week where we let each other talk. So, uh, Thank you for that synthesis. Well, listeners, come back again next time. We're going to continue these conversations about conscious leadership. For Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson for IntelliKey Leadership Stories. See you soon. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintelliKey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.